Today we're visiting with Lisa Kisselstein in New York. Lisa is the definition of a lifelong learner in my book. She's constantly questioning and seeking out answers. And as we discuss, admitting when she doesn't know something yet. I know you'll love our conversation and that it'll give you an energy boost for your day. Hello, Lisa. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me here. We like to start with a little game, as I'm sure you might have guessed. (laughs) So it's two lies and a truth. I want you to tell me two things that are not true about you and one thing that is true, and I'll try to guess the truth. I've played Mama Rose on stage from Gypsy. I've been to India. My undergrad degree is in... Okay, Mama Rose, India. Hmm, I'm just going to go India. Don't know why, but that's what I'm going to guess. I actually went to India on a cross-cultural trip with a class from seminary to immerse ourselves in a total room. So I have been to India, the southern states of Tamil Nadu and Kerala, or Kerala, or some people say. I have never played Mama Rose on stage because I'm not a belter. <laughs> it would be that's the, I'm not an I'm not an Ethel Merman type, but man, what a part to play. Nice, and you've never so played that's flute. The lie is Mama Rose. You've never played. Oh, I play. Oh, two. Oh, flute. Flute's my my undergrad. I actually got to go to the flute institute at Tanglewood a while back now, and still carry all of that with me. It's still such a big part of my life. Oh, that's wonderful. So that's a bit about you, in general. But we'd love to hear a bit more about you as a teacher. So I want you to try and choose three words that could represent your teaching. If you like, you can imagine these three words on a billboard. It already has a picture and your studio info, but you're just going to add like three adjectives or words to describe you as a teacher. Well, these may pop up in a billboard ad, but creative, journey, explore. Explore and journey are the same thing, though, kind of for me, but encouraging. Encouraging, explore, creative. I like it. So why those three elements? I'm sure there's a lot of things you could have picked out from your teaching. I love exploring creativity. And one thing, having been on stage doing musical theater with a variety of different casts in the same shows, like Sound of Music and Music Man, that I'm going from dinner theater to dinner theater, I got to see a rich variety of performances. And somebody in the cast, one cast, asked me, who better? Also the cast before. And I said, I, I can't, could you guys bring something unique? And each of us is so unique to witness that creativity in other people and the different choices that we can make in performing a piece just moves me so much. I love it. And so I try to instill that in my students. So it's not competition. The only person you're competing with is yourself when it's mm-hmm. down to it. That for creativity, explore, because there's so much to this, so much music, so little time. And sometimes I can throw too much at my students that I I have to remember to peel back and hold myself back because it's all so exciting. It's like, oh, wait, here's Forrest, can he's create first and we can do some improv and we can do. So we, they know we can float in and out of things and get creative that we don't have to always do the same thing in the lesson every single time. If they need a break, I'll bring in games, a little bit more of the games, maybe take an entire lesson and explore improv through a different key, like 
you've suggested, and just encourage them to explore and have fun. And I already forgot what my last one was. <laughs> encouraging. I'm trying to think through. I just encouraging. Um, Sorry, I jumped the gun. Encouraging people to. <laughs> that's that's okay. I encourage. I try to encourage my students to do their best at any given time, and that lessons are a safe place to say I don't know, and then we explore together. But to know that they can do things, and sometimes, like the gritty critters, it's a not yet, and we explore where the not yets are and find ways to encourage ourselves to move forward. I love that. That's a great introduction to you as a teacher. I think it says so much about you. So tell me, what was your own musical upbringing like? Did you start lessons at a young age? What were your own lessons like? Well, I start, I have to acknowledge the fact that my parents encouraged my sister and I to listen to a wide variety of music. And I tended to gravitate to the musical theater cast albums that had next to the record player with the big LPs that are now making a comeback. But I started piano at four with a wonderful lady who was a big part of my life through most of my life, who just recently passed away. And in elementary school, same thing again. I, the work I do now, I encountered them both at the nursing home and we were able to continue our work together. Some of the things there, which was really cool that uh, they got to see me grow and change. So I started with piano and then fell in love with the flute at the age of 10 when we could start taking band lessons. I loved the cello, but I also greatly admired one of my cousins who played the flute and I wanted to be like her. And then just kept going with flute and didn't actually start voice until later when I joined the choir. I'm at my home church here, joined the choir and the choir director looked at me and said, I'm not sure but I think you have a soloist voice in there someplace and I want you to go take voice lessons. I was already out teaching, was teaching band. I went through undergrad, back up. I went through undergrad as a music education major for band, for flute as my primary instrument. And then ended up teaching general music and realized I needed more voice, more pedagogy for voice, more understanding. So the my choir, my church music mom here um, at my home church, Rebecca Jetson, I have to do her due, due diligence because she's influenced my life so much that uh, she got me going on voice and encouraged me to learn and explore and grow with this instrument. And I haven't really looked back because I joined out. I ended up taking voice lessons, joined out for chorus. I saw the United Church. I someplace for the last however many years I've been doing it. Voice is what I consider my primary instrument. So I think wow. that's that's about it in a nutshell. Work Patrice Pastor down at Ithaca College for voice, and she's still encouragement. Music teachers in general are just really encouraging, amazing people. So. Yes, I, I find that to be true as well. Yeah. <laughs> so, in all those, I mean, you went through quite a musical journey there. Throughout that, did you always practice consistently? Were you always ready for your lessons? As I told a student before Christmas who was hitting a practice lag, we all hit moments. And it's okay. And I've told my students that have some projects going forward, I've been there. If you need a break, we figure out different ways to approach the lesson that we can pull out lead sheets. We can pull out different activities that you haven't explored before. And take a break for yourself. And that's one thing I've learned from the wider 
private and community in general through VMT, through Top Music, the groups on Facebook, that we've got to take time for ourselves. And sometimes that's okay. You just step back into it when you can. And I still do that. I took a break after Christmas this year and I'm just starting to get back into it. So anybody out there, there's going to be times you need a break and that's okay. Yes. And we should mod and model that really for our students and model being okay with that mm -hmm. if we can. I think yeah. that's beautiful. So is there anything you wish had been included in your lessons growing up? I love the pedagogy that I'm learning now. I think it would be different because I know some of the stuff that I've been exploring through the resources that have come out in the pandemic especially, but all of the curriculums that are available at VMT, I, most of that stuff is like, I don't remember learning that. But we change and grow and keep learning more. There's the Gordon's, the music learning, music learning theory. I couldn't get that out. That I think I got introduced to through you, eye-opening. And then through some of the voice pedagogy work I've been doing, I've also discovered that through Sarah Witten at the Aligned Library about how, we, how we're put together and how we can move in an efficient way, in a more efficient way that we've done before. And... It's okay that we didn't know it before. So I think that would have been one thing. As I started out using Faber, and I still use Faber with a lot of students, because I took a look at it as somebody who had gone through a music education program and thought, I don't remember the artistry that that technique and artistry book goes into or the things are available to us through like Piano Safari. Mm -hmm. And in making sure that our movement and shape and efficient use of what we're doing with our bodies is happening. Maybe yeah. they didn't, I don't remember. I also, when I do practice, there have been times that I would over-practice. So, you know, that my teachers didn't always know about, or maybe they didn't, didn't say anything and just got it gently. So I think that would be the one thing. So I just push myself to learn more about pedagogy than I thought possible. Yeah, and particularly on the technique side and the efficiency of, of the movements you use. I think that's a great thing to pass on differently to the next generation. So how did you first get into teaching yourself? Where did it start and how did it evolve? I actually started right out of high school with encouragement of my then flute teacher and uh, my mom, the teacher, and I started taking private students in the summers through college, and we were given the opportunity in undergrad at SUNY Fredonia to work with students in a local Catholic school teaching private lessons under the guidance of faculty there before we did our student teaching. And then, of course, I had student teaching and was meant through early years in public and parochial schools by some amazing teachers there as well. So that's where I, I really got my start. And I I think I should have known how much I love teaching when I went, I was going down to New York and auditioning for the regional dinner theaters. And I was sitting next to somebody waiting for a callback because we were just handed the music and I already the show and this person didn't. And she, oh, I don't know that I can do this. And that wait, I've got my pitch pipe. And I started teaching sitting in the hall of NOLA Studios, and uh, I love it. I love helping people find more than they thought possible within themselves. But it's creative. So, and we can do things that blow our own minds at times. 
Yeah. Absolutely. I'd love that you teaching took over and it forced itself on you even when you were supposed to be doing something else. You couldn't resist, right? I couldn't help. It's like, oh, this isn't bad. This isn't bad. So, yeah. It's, it's been a wild journey. And what does your teaching look like now? Are you teaching in different locations? Do you teach privately or? The pandemic has uh, some crazy situation happening, which is why I'm down here at church, that we've recorded services down here and very gratefully have taken on the opportunity to do a little bit here for remote learning, of course, because we have safe sanctuaries where you have to make sure you've got people in the room. So with the parent on the other end, with the kid devices like we're on right now, it's given me a quiet space and allowed my family to be themselves at home rather than me taking space with the grand pianos in the main room. And I did do some travel teaching as well. And I still do travel teaching with the people that have been with me through the pandemic that we kind of have our own little bubble. And I know that they're going to tell me if it's, you know, we've got some sickness in the household, let's go to remote or I'll do the same thing. And I also teach through church with choir. I'm right now freelance, doing some freelance music work for churches. But when I have regular jobs or fill in on a regular basis right now, that teaching through choir. And uh, I miss my kids' choir that I, I worked with. They're now all they're now all grown up and one has a child now, which is kind of hard to wrap my brain around, but I'm so excited to see everything they're doing. And they were, they're part of the reason I love exploring too, because they were so open to learning different styles and we would try different languages and we tried chant just to explore everything that was available to us through the resources that we had, we have here at church. And so they got me thinking creatively about what we could do too. So even the students, get us thinking creatively. Oh, absolutely. Especially the students get me thinking creatively. That's where all the ideas come from. Yeah. Yeah. So that sounds like a beautiful tapestry of different teaching that you do. Can you think of a student in particular that stands out that changed something about how you teach or something about how you run your business? Yes, I have my outside the box student who, quite frankly, the box doesn't exist for them, which is so... It's it first. But then the more I just went with it, the more I began to explore. And it's because of them, really, that I discovered, I think it was Sarah Campbell who had you and Tim on for an interview with Upbeat, yeah, Upbeat Piano up teachers. teachers. Yeah, with Tracy that, Selly and, and you, Sarah. Yeah, that, yeah, that you guys, that, yes, thank you, Tracy and Sarah, that uh, that's how I learned vibrant music. And it really helped that student so much go into off-the-bench activities and to gamify and explore. And we had only dabbled in, and we did a remote, even before the pandemic, we did a remote recital that we set up, had handheld devices at our house because not everybody could come. And uh, I said, do you feel like trying an improv? She said, sure, yeah, I want to do an improv. And I could not believe what came out this, the sophisticated sounds from this seven-year-old kid, and it just blew my mind. Now, they're no longer taking piano lessons with me because they've moved, and it just doesn't work out, but I'm still in contact with them, families, friends. I'm in a small town, so it's kind of part of the joy of small town living, and we're still, they, 
they're still part of my life and they still encourage me and encourage them. But that they're the ones that got me going on. How can I be more creative? How can I step up in different ways? Well, I'm glad so the that... student will know who they are if they see this. I'm glad that student lit that spark for you because obviously it connected us with each other. So that's wonderful to hear. Lisa, can you think of something that stands out as a mistake in your teaching? It could be a specific thing or like a more general thing that you used to do. Not planning enough. I would say formal sit-down planning. I have my game, always have had a game plan in through here. And I had such structured learning with the private teachers I did have that I could do lessons more or less successfully without putting pen to paper. Putting pen to paper the way I've learned through the business courses, the, the, the curriculum, and thinking about, which is my new course of last week that I've got to finish up this week, that it's so much more efficient. And I actually can, especially with still travel teaching, I can think ahead of time, make sure I've got certain things with me. Because when I started travel teaching and I wasn't writing down stuff and having teaching Bujo, my bullet journal for teaching, I would get to a student's house and I wouldn't have staff paper. I would, oh wait, that game's back on the piano. Sometimes that, but I'm doing it a lot less. I'm finding things to be more focused. Um, we get through things more efficiently too. And I think students progress better writing things out every single time yeah. or as much as I can. Yeah. I mean, there's a certain degree to which it's true that you could wing it or whatever you're doing before plan less. But it's always going to be, I believe, more efficient and a better experience for the student ultimately when you do that planning, when you put in that time. So that's wonderful that you've developed that habit. Because it's hard to build in the beginning. Yeah. Well, yeah. Thank you for that encouragement. If you could turn back time to yourself as a first year teacher when you first started and took on those very first students. Is there anything you could tell yourself, any advice you could give to that young teacher? Take some business courses. I'm, I'm fine with the, the business activities that are possible, that I'm learning about that are possible through VMT, through Top Music, through Michelle Marquardt DeVoe, who does voice work business-wise and things I've been learning from Sarah Campbell, that there needs to be more business stuff at the undergraduate level. And if it's at all possible, I know there are places that have degrees in business. I think math, I know what I'm saying. Business and music. And if you can get a joint degree, business and music, or if there's a music business degree that's solely contained and you're not sure what to do, I would do that. As odd as that sounds coming out of my mouth, but that's what I would do. Yeah, that's really interesting that that stands out to you as something that was missing. I know it's missing for many music degrees, but worth seeking that out outside if you didn't have it. It's not impossible to get that information outside a business degree, of course. You, you can seek out business resources online like you've done and fill in the blanks, but sooner rather than later, yeah? Yeah, if I were teaching a pedagogy course, I would totally, at least the semester, you need to send either VFE, top mute, something like what you offer and have it be part of the course and you need to finish at least X number of business courses curriculum, whether it's the click up introduction, Asana, you know, figuring that stuff out, building a website, 
those kinds of courses that I would love to see that kind of stuff incorporated into pedagogy courses. Yeah, or at least a flavor of it. I mean, as you probably know, I didn't yeah. do a music degree myself. I did fashion, and that is obviously mostly sewing and pattern making and design. But it does include a business component because they assume that you're quite likely to become self-employed. So, and music is the same. So it really, at least it should be mo a couple of modules like it was in, in that degree yeah. to cover a bit of business basics, for sure. Lisa, is there anything you think people outside our industry misunderstand about what we do as teachers? That lesson, even though I know... The families I work with know that every so often because they're also heavily involved in sports that oh, your teachers online or here for practice, it's your lesson. And practice is what happens outside. And that's, that's still because it's part of our culture here that it's practice. So, but I, I, I push to help piano pros or practice pros be involved in so many ways in the different practice games that are available. Get the kids thinking outside the box in how to approach their pieces. So it's not just let's set the timer for five minutes for you to work on this piece or these scales or whatever. And then hopefully it'll get them to grow beyond the need for a timer if that's how they start. Yeah, it's an interesting one, this idea of calling lessons practice that seems to bother quite a few teachers in North America generally. And I, I wonder if it is just a vocabulary thing because I don't think I've ever heard a parent say that. And I think it's because we don't call sports practice, practice. Like we don't use that in our vocabulary. We'd say going to football. We wouldn't say going to football practice. So I know it's just me nitpicking at words, but I do think it's interesting how the different ways we frame things outside of music can affect the way you see what practices and what lessons are and those different words that we use. Final question then for you. I want you to imagine a teacher somewhere out there who is feeling pretty uncertain about themselves, about their business like you used to, or maybe about their actual teaching style or how they do things or how well their students are progressing. Is there anything, any advice you could give them or anything you want to share with them to encourage them to get involved in the community, perhaps. Learning is a lifelong process. And that is no more or a situation than we find ourselves in as teachers and that it's okay for my students to say, I don't know. It's also okay for me to say, I don't know, but I'll, let's find out together. And let this be a journey that where we keep growing and changing and finding new ways of doing things because you're going to put something from one person that you've never experienced before and maybe something from somebody else that, well, this is kind of similar to what I've done before, but there's some tweaks that I want to try. And this entirely new topic over here that hasn't even occurred to you. And I found a lot of that through VMT. And I can't say how much I thank you for everything that you do and everything that the team does to help us look better teach better. And I know it's impacted families greatly that they, they love it when I pull the games out or the kids will love it when they see tiny finger takeoff curriculum come out so they can follow the checklist along with me of what we need to do in the lesson. And 
it helps. Oh, well, thank you for saying that. I'm so glad you enjoy the resources and that they're useful for you. And I love that advice of just it, almost what you started with. Is it's okay to say, I don't know. Teachers should say it. Students should say it. Everybody should admit when they don't know so that they can seek out the yeah. ad- answers and get curious about it, right? Keep that curiosity going. Absolutely. Lisa, thank you so much for joining us on the show and for doing this interview. I really appreciate it. Thank you for including me. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. Do you love this show? Then please share your favorite episode with a teacher friend who you think might enjoy it and benefit from it. If you resonated with today's story, then the Vibrant Music Teaching membership is probably a good fit for you too. Find out more at vibrantmusicteaching.com.